Hi, I'm Kamu. I'm an entrepreneur and VCOM Honors Investment Management graduate. And I'm Darren, a CFA chart holder and a newsletter writer. And you're listening to the Upstart VC Podcast. A podcast where we talk to entrepreneurs about the things they're building and to investors about the entrepreneurs they're backing. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the Upstart VC Podcast. Before we dive into this week's discussion, we'd like to request that you subscribe to our Substack. By subscribing, you get access to all the research notes we compile of the guests we interview and a whole lot more. We'd also like to request that you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps us out. With that said, on our show today, we chat to co-founder and CEO of Smart Wage, Simon Ellis. And as always, the first segment of our show is an elevator pitch where founders tell us about their business and why we should buy their product. Let's hop in. South African employees lend their employers over 140 billion rand every month through work they've done but have not been paid for. Why? Because until now, no one has challenged the 30-day pay cycle and it's crippling millions of South Africans. In fact, the problem is so big that more than 80% of employees struggle to make it to the end of the month without taking on some form of unsecured debt. And for employers, well, there's no easy way to give employees access to what they've earned when they've earned it. SmartWage gives employers the ability to offer their employees access to earned wages. We focus on three things, accessibility, affordability, and financial literacy. As a SmartWage consumer, all you need to do is send our WhatsApp chatbot a message or dial into our USSD to request a portion of your already earned wages and we'll pay it out within 24 hours. It's that simple. You have arrived at your destination. Here's a few stats. 50% of middle-income South Africans spend their salaries within five days of receiving it. 25% of the average monthly income goes to settling outstanding debt. And 43% of middle-income employees who run out of money end up borrowing to survive the rest of the month. Next, we find out from Simon how smart wage is eradicating the poverty cycle through access to earned wages and financial education. To start off, what would be really cool is if you could um, sort of give us a background on how you got into entrepreneurship and how you started SmartWage. Cool. So maybe a bit of background into uh, into into myself. I'm a I'm a chartered accountant by profession, but I wouldn't classify myself as your typical typical accountant. I studied at Stellenbosch um, and uh, I then took a year off to go traveling and traveled through uh, India and, and most of Southeast Asia and China. Um, and then moved to London to work at Deloitte in, in uh, auditing for three years and then corporate finance for a year. And, and, you know, I think since my early days, I'd always had an interest in, in startups and entrepreneurship. And I tried a bunch of things from trying to sell things on Amazon to starting a recruitment business. And it, it really took me a while to find the right thing to sink my teeth into. Um, SmartWage came about because of a friend of mine who worked at a, at a VC that funded a company called WageStream. And, and to be honest, one of the, the big things we focus on as a company is 95% imitation, 5% innovation. And yep. uh, I think that applies to, to so many different things. And so, so we looked at what WageStream were doing, which was ultimately pioneering earned wage access and looked at South Africa, a largely indebted and financially illiterate market and thought, why was no one doing this in South Africa to, to you know, people who... Uh, arguably needed it more than anyone else and so we decided to start it um, we set out to to solve the mission of eradicating the, the payday poverty cycle 
um, and we wanted to do it in the, in the simplest way possible. Um, and, and that was that was SmartWage. That was February February 2020. Wow! So that was actually quite recent. Um, and you said like you you've always kind of been interested in, I suppose, like so the the startup ecosystem. I suppose entrepreneurship. Um, do your parents also have an entrepreneurial background, or like this is a off the wall question? But I'm I'm quite interested in terms of how that um, entrepreneurship bug got started. I guess. Yeah, that's a it's a great question. My my, my parents are farmers. Um, my mom ran a small um, arts and crafts business, and my my dad was a farmer. And so I guess to an extent they were entrepreneurs and that they ran their own businesses. Um, but at at varsity I or at university, I I kind of got exposed to a few people doing. Uh, a bunch of things and um I, I don't know if it's relevant but I, you know since i found an old document i wrote in 2012 which kind of uh detailed out what i wanted to do with my life and i've kind of subsequently worked on that every year since and and one of those things was start my own thing and it took me a long long time to do it and i tried multiple different ways but when i when i really when it really kicked off was when i went to london and and there's just an incredible startup scene um yeah. i went to loads of events um yeah. where i pretended to be a whole lot uh more experienced than I really was. And that kind of gave me the end. Um, I started working with um, a bunch of people. I did a bunch of pro bono work to try and figure things out. Um, I was actually talking to a friend about it last night. I got approached by um, a friend of mine to, to, to help uh, sell her business. And I said, I absolutely knew how to do it. And I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Uh, and that was kind of the, the, um, the start of, of what would I guess take me down the journey. I think the the real start though was when I when I moved back to South Africa to work with a company called Digs Connect, which is a student accommodation marketplace based out of Cape Town. Um, and they approached me to raise their seed round of funding, and I again said uh, I knew exactly how to do that. Yeah. And of course, I had no idea. Um, I, I'd worked in at Deloitte, but that doesn't mean you know how to raise <laughs> funds. Um, so I, I moved back to South Africa for two months and, and managed to successfully do that for them. Uh, with, with, wow. a, with a great team and a great product and that was super exciting I you know I'd been used to going into the office in a, in a suit and a tie and now I was going in shorts and slops and I was just so excited about what I was doing yeah. um, and I realized that's exactly what I wanted to be doing uh, you know really passionate and, and excited about waking up every day and solving some problem. I just wanted to tug on one of the the threads that you've spoken about earlier so you mentioned that um, you know you're a chartered accountant right um, and now you're running a fintech. <laughs> um, can you just walk us through that? Like, was it difficult as a non-technical founder um, finding somebody uh, that has, you know, software skills? Um, yeah, if you could just expand on that. Uh, I, I often say I wish I'd studied some form of computer science or, or picked up uh, coding at some stage in my life, and I never have. Um, but uh, I guess the uh, I, I kind of felt a whole lot better when I worked out that both the Airbnb founders are not technical, so uh, <laughs> yeah, one of, one of the best you know best products in the world. Um, so yeah, um, I mean, accounting was was I, I love numbers, but I, I wasn't a, your typical accountant, and I think finding a technical co-founder is is difficult. But I happened to meet fortuitously um, a lady called Caroline van der Merwe through friend of a friend. She was coming back from the from the states. Um, she she'd been at business school over there, and um, she became head of product. And, and although she's not technical, she understands how to build um, and develop products. And so we we built a team around us. But I think the the 
the the key is that you don't necessarily need to be technical you need to actually understand how to take feedback from your employees you know what is the biggest problem and what is the feedback that you've got in order to solve that problem and then dumbing it down to its simplest form this there are really so many companies today that are making building products really easy uh, the one that comes to mind is a company called bubble in the states which is a no-code software development company um, you can learn how to use bubble in a week and you can build a product in two weeks um, with absolutely no coding background look it might not scale but um, it, it does what it needs to um, so to answer the question i think it would be preferable to have a coding background or to have some some understanding of, of te a technical um, background but i think it's not necessarily needed um, and and it's really critical to understand in its simplest form how to solve basic problems or complex problems at, at that sure and i'm sure that was like the approach that you also took because you had mentioned earlier that you know you're getting into these um events in london and also when you came back and you uh had that work with the that one startup to raise their pre-seed you know for a normal person that that will come with a lot of imposter syndrome right because it's like well actually i don't know what i'm doing here and i think that's a uh, a story that's consistent with a lot of entrepreneurs that's venturing out and like you know putting themselves out the line and you know putting or committing real like skin in the game right so how how did you go about you know like faking it when you were uh you know trying to raise that pre-seed uh fund funding um did you have any doubts and if you did how did you overcome them I remember being on the plane uh, from London back to um, South Africa to, and I'd promised that I'd, I'd build the, the guy's first version of a pitch deck by the time I arrived. And, <laughs> and it, I, ha I, had, I was nowhere close. And I'd, I'd printed out, uh, I'd gotten literally typed in how to build a pitch deck on the internet and typed out uh, and, and printed five articles. And off the, literally on the plane, uh, I'd, created version one i found some templates online and created version one and it actually turned out to be quite a quite a decent pitch deck in my uh, if i can say so myself but it was but it was literally um i'm a big i'm a big fan of the uh, law that's parkinson's law which is that um, work expands the time given to it um so if something's due on a tuesday afternoon you're likely going to finish it at tuesday lunchtime um, and i knew that i had to do it and i simply just kind of was just practical about how to do this there's you know pretty much everything you do these days someone else has done it before there's youtube videos there's twitter feeds there's thousands of articles there's blog posts there's books uh, if you want to really figure it out there's enough there's enough resources out there that can help you so um i just went and did it um look it wasn't perfect but uh, it definitely did the job for the for um for the most part and i think what you realize is that most people in regardless of what position they are and i remember speaking to a partner at Deloitte and I said yeah, how, how are you doing this and she says I've never done this before I'm I'm winging it and you know that was the person I looked up to uh, and I and she came across as that she knew everything and so I said well then I better wing it as well um, and and most people don't actually know what they're doing half the time um, they just create the illusion that they do and, and that you know I guess that could be the same in in terms of starting a podcast someone also asked how did you guys start a podcast you said I started <laughs> I read, I, read, I read a bunch of articles, listened to a bunch of articles, uh, listened to a bunch of podcasts, and then went and started. 
absolutely yeah that's 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 definitely true um you just sort of take that first step right and then um it opens up the whole staircase um and i'm glad you mentioned the parkinson's law because I've used it quite a lot in my studies, <laughs> you know, whether you get an assignment the month before, uh, if you do it the day before or the month before, you know, work expands or contracts um, in proportion to um, the amount of time you have left to do something. Uh, so I think this is a good segue to to get into some of the, the business questions. Um, Darren? Sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, just, just one other comment, I suppose, before we, we do that and, it's quite a, a relevant comment, I think, just generally is you said something about the internet and, and that's correct. Like, I think the internet has been an amazing equalizer of information. So information is freely available to anybody who is on the internet who wants to find out information about anything. Um, and it's just like that opportunity that has opened up is incredible. And I suppose... That is why it's important to to give more people access to the internet, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I suppose. But running off from that, um, maybe just chat us chat to us a little bit about what Smart Wage does, I guess, in terms of um, the products that you offer. So I know that you um, sort of provide people access to their finances before they get paid. But on which platforms and channels can they get access to that? Is it only via WhatsApp? Yes, I think maybe again, I'm just going to go back to a little bit sort of, you know, the world a uh, hundred years ago, people used to work. And at the end of the day, you would line up uh, and everyone would get paid cash. And over time, technology came in and that allowed people to, to do things monthly. And we created bank accounts and you could get paid monthly. Mm-hmm. But no one really challenged that. And, and kind of we looked at what, 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 uh, what was happening in the rest of the world. Um, and you're seeing big companies like PayPal and Walmart and NHS and Amazon and Uber all take on earned wage access. It's, it's, a, it's, it's coming whether you like it or not. The world will not be paid in the same way it is today uh, as it will be in 10 years' time. So we looked at the South African market and, and, uh, and kind of figured out, like, what is the simplest way to give people access to what they've earned? And the answer is, uh, in our minds, USSD and WhatsApp. Um, so as an employee, once you are registered with SmartWage and to register, you, you, you dial into a USSD line and USSD is the star 100 hash technology that most people will, will recognize through buying airtime. Um, but you dial into smart, to, to the USSD line or you send our WhatsApp chatbot and it really is a chatbot now, uh, a message. Um, and, you know, within 30 seconds, you can get access to what you want. So um, to, to practically use the example I sort of spoke about earlier, if you earn 10,000 rand a month and it's halfway through the month, you've earned 5,000 rand, we give you access to 25% of that, of what you've earned. Uh, and we do it through USSD and WhatsApp. You dial into the chatbot, Hi, Simon, would you like to access your earnings? Yes, I would. How much would you like to access? You've got X amount available uh, and we make payment within 24 hours. And the exciting part is that we're actually busy doing an integration at the moment, which will allow for instant payments um, for free, wow. which is massive. Um, and and obviously uh, the focus is, is how can we solve the customer's problems uh, in the best way possible? Yeah, yeah. Um... That's so true. And, and like you say, it's, it is something quite novel, but it's also something that has um, sort of this industry, I suppose, if it's an industry, uh, has seen quite a number of different players already. Um, and you are one of a few. Um, 
yeah, um, how do you think that you differentiate yourself compared to these others? I, I'm sure like you, you were aware of the ones that I'm talking about. Um, yeah, and what is your thoughts on like the competition in the, in the space? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And it's, uh, you know, we're busy raising funds at the moment. And that's one of the biggest questions, you know, how, how are you different to anyone else? Um, ultimately, I mean, if we look at Europe, there, there are 47 companies in Europe doing what we're doing. Um, but everyone's got a slightly different take. Um, our focus really is, is being the most affordable and accessible product in the market. Um, and as I mentioned, we deliver our product through USSD and WhatsApp, uh, essentially allowing anyone in South Africa with a feature phone the ability to use the product. And uh, we, we, we are targeting the lower LSM. Uh, we're targeting the people who arguably need it the most. Um, you know, those that earn less than 20K a month. And interestingly, um, there's a stat that came out this week, actually, that 90% uh, of South Africans earn less than 8,000 rand a month. Um, and those are the people we're targeting. We're targeting the people that need it the most. And we're trying to, we went to the consumers and said to them, you know, what channels would solve this problem for you in the most, you know, in the simplest way? And it wasn't via an app, a, a complex app that is, uh, you know, heavy data uh, or data heavy rather. And so we decided to do it through, through USSD and WhatsApp. And that really is our, our advantage at this stage. Down the line, um, you know, we've built in a, a really compelling financial education product, which not only um, you know, the wage access product gives people access to what they've earned, but the, but the financial education product helps people to understand how to use that money effectively. Um, as with any product, any financial services product or, or anything kind of in, in line with what we're doing, the key is trust. How do we build trust with our consumer to make sure that A, we're not taking advantage of them and, and B, they really trust us for anything. And that's where we are different to anyone else. Um, the ability to talk to consumers in ways they want to be talked to, not just through an app uh, and, and actually um, change the way they think about what they've earned and the way they think about access to finance. Mm. Um, and, and, I, and I will say our competitors are doing a wonderful job, but they're targeting a different market. They've got a different pricing strategy um, and ultimately their long-term goals are very different to ours. So, so um, is the, the sort of the revenue that you earn, is it based on a transaction or like, if, if you are able to share that information, like, please, could you? Sure. Um, so, uh, you know, our revenue model is, is a subscription fee. We charge the consumer 30 Rand a month per month, uh, absolutely no transaction fees and no interest fees. Uh, most of our competitors charge a transaction fee and a, a, a flat transaction fee and an uh, interest-based trans, uh, transaction fee um, or percentage fee. And, what that does is encourage encourages our competitors to uh, encourage their consumers to take as much money as possible, yeah. which is not necessarily benefiting the consumer. We're here to say, hey, if you need access to what you've earned, you can use smart wage. But if you don't, don't take an advance. Uh, why don't Why don't you focus on financial education? Um, so, so we're a subscription fee model. Um, we have a bunch of ancillary uh, revenue uh, generators, which is quite exciting. Um, we actually make money off instant payments. Um, we have a debt consolidation service, which we can monetize off, which actually doesn't charge the employer or the employee. Um, and uh, down the line, um, which I can't really share here, but down the line, there's some really exciting uh, monetization techniques, which is why there's so much interest in what we're doing. Mm. Um, 
And those monetization techniques are really focused on creating the win-win for, for both us, for the employer, and then for the employee. How do we give people access to financial services products in ways that is actually impactful to everyone? And, um, I, and I think that the important thing is that we're really, we're really focused on making an impact on the consumer's mind. We, we only give them access to 25% mm. uh, of what they've earned, which means that you know at month end, they've still got access to 75% of what they would have earned. Uh, and they, we're not charging punitive interest rates. Um, and just to put it into context, uh, you know, we went live with a large manufacturing company yesterday. Um, and our minimum advance is 100 rand. But if an employee wants to borrow 100 rand at that company from employees within that company, there's, there's sort of machinesis within the company, to take 100 rand out for a week, it costs them 140 rand. Um, you know, for smart wage, you can, you can access uh, 2,000 rand for 30 rand, and that's for a month. Um, so we are, uh, compared to your regulated payday lenders, the likes of Wonga and Little Loans, um, we are nine to 10 times cheaper than your cheapest regulated loan sharks. We sort of 20 to 30 times cheaper than your unregulated loan sharks and machines. Yeah. Um, so, so it's quite, you know, quite easy to see the impact we can have on, on those on employees. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a great service, I think, that you are providing to, to those employees. Um, changing topics a little bit, maybe, can we chat about how you went about raising your first seed round? Um, and you also mentioned earlier that you're also looking to raise more capital. Um, and how you, about, how you went about um, raising or how you are going about raising the, the next round? I think, um, and and one of our one of our um, advisors is a guy called Adam Duxbury, and he's he's he really is absolutely fantastic. He he really is is able to think about things in in such different ways and and challenge you on so many different uh, topics. Um, but um, one thing he said to me right early on is, if you think of a think of an investor, they as with anyone, you usually don't walk into a shop and just buy the first product you see. You would have seen you know they say you need to see something seven times before you'll actually interact with it and i guess the investors are the same yeah. so right early on when we started our journey i reached out to uh, my network that i that i'd built through my raising some funding previously and kind of you took them along the journey this is what i was doing this is what i was doing i wasn't looking for money at the time but just to let you know and I had a few conversations and i and i built relationships and took people along the journey this is where we are and if you think of a graph and the bottom left-hand side, you you kind of, you start, right? And over time, you build a team and you build a product and you get customers. And, and over time, you take them on this journey. Um, and by the time you've now spoken to them for five months or two years or whatever it is, they start, they saw, they saw you in the bottom left-hand corner and now you're at the top right-hand corner and they've been along that journey with you. And I think taking investors along that journey was, was a really critical part of, of why we raised money and, and did so relatively easy early on. Um, it was building relationships and, and taking people along the journey. Um, we're busy raising more money now. And again, after raising that first uh, pre-seed round, we, you know, we, we identified who are the investors that we would like to invest and how can we make sure that we build relationships with them now? That was in June. So that by, you know, February, March, the following year, those people have watched us grow for nine months and, and seen the problems we've we faced and the hurdles we've had to overcome seen us deal with them and, and have gained conviction about what we're doing and how we're doing it so that they're able to participate in, in what we're doing. I, I hope that makes some kind of sense. Yeah, yeah, it does make sense. Um, 
But when you say like keeping in touch with those potential investors, is that something that's quite informal and it's just like dropping them in, dropping them an email saying, "Hey, we've um, we've been doing this for three months now. We've our client base has grown three times, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Or is it like sending them more formalized things and having like a coffee chat and so on? I think everyone's really different, to be honest. Uh, some, 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 you know, companies are are the VC type uh, guys, and and they wanted something a bit more formal. Others, I have WhatsApp relationships with, and instead of always saying, "Hey, we're looking for money," or "Hey, have you seen how well we're doing?" It, it's kind of building a bit more of a relationship. It's, "Have you seen this great article?" And you know, if someone tells me they they've invested in another company and and agri agri tech, as an example, if I, if I see something about agri tech, I'll send it to them, okay. um, and in that way, you're building the relationship. So um, they are formal parts of what we do. We send out monthly updates and we mm-hmm. um, have an investor list, but but there's also informal parts, and some of those informal parts can can take uh, two years. Um, one of um, one of the guys we talk to regularly is um, uh, someone from Corner Capital, and uh, he said to me that. Um, it takes typically 18 months for, for them as a, as a business. Um, and don't quote me on this, but uh, to, um, to meet someone to the time they're in, you know, from the time they meet someone to the time they invest, that's usually 18 months. Wow. Um, so they build that they identify the people that they want to be talking to right early on. And, and 18 months later they they might invest. Um, so they probably have a hit ratio of, you know, one in 50, they, you know, they meet 50 people and, and one person over those 18 months becomes, becomes a, a sense, well, not a sensation, but, you know, becomes something that they want to put their money behind. Yeah. So it's definitely, it seems like it's, uh, it's the long game. It's building relationships. It's not necessarily just doing extremely well with your business, but it's also having um, a team of investors or, or investors that believe in the story and believe in you as an, as a founder, essentially. Well, well, if you if you kind of think about it, you know, getting investor on board is not just taking the money. It becomes a bit of a marriage down the line. You you know, these are the people you need to report to. You know, are these are these the types of people that are going to back you when you have a, a massive internal uh, issue, or when there's a reg, you know the regulatory concern, or when uh, some data breach happens? Who who are the people that you want on your side that you can phone up and say, look, you know, because ultimately startup really startups are all about solving problems um, if you know every single day is a new problem and it's how you can solve those effectively and make sure that you kind of have the team that enables you to solve those problems in the best way possible okay sweet um yeah so simon just curious to know if you had to start smart wage from scratch what would you do differently uh <laughs> I think uh, we probably mitigate a lot of mistakes early on by onboarding some some pretty experienced people externally from an advisory perspective. However, um, I think probably one of the things I didn't do well enough was was understanding quite how big the opportunity was um, and gathering uh, enough feedback before kind of getting going. Um, we we understood we we understood the problem, but I don't think we understood the problem in as much detail as we should have. Um, and that you know we we now have subsequently gone out and spoken to hundreds of hundreds of consumers who, who face this problem, but we didn't do that initially. So what we thought the solution to the problem was was not necessarily what our consumers needed, um, and that's probably where we went slightly wrong early on, and and something I would do slightly differently. Um, it's just really really focusing on understanding what our consumers problem was and how we could solve it and, and using them as the sounding board 
um, you know, if we did it like this, that, would that be better? Or because ultimately we need to build a product that serves our consumers, not serves us. Awesome. Um, yeah, Simon, I just wanted to end off with uh, the question that we ask every single entrepreneur, game changer um, that comes on our show is if you received an investment of $100,000, uh, roughly about 1.4 to 1.6 million rand, what would you spend it on? Uh, finding an extraordinary individual to join our team. Um, someone who um, has done it before, who's got the experience, who's got the drive and determination to make things happen. Uh, I can't emphasize the value of good people. Uh, I think that's the hardest part. You, you, as a startup, you, you have limited funds and uh, you really need access to experienced people and experienced people who, who know what they're doing are expensive. Um, so I would 100% spend it on, on getting someone who's incredible to join the team. Curious to know in like what capacity, what role? Right now, um, great question. Right now, uh, probably an activation role. Um, figuring out how to educate our consumers about what we're doing um, and then activate them is, you know, is incredibly difficult. Uh, we know that once an employee starts using our product, they will, 98% of them will continue to use our product. And that's what's the great thing. We know we've got some form of product market fit because the feedback is so great, is, you know, is excellent. But getting them to take their first advance and, and figuring out, given the inherent skepticism and the inherent lack of trust in the South African market is difficult. Um, and I think someone who's able to scalably activate South Africa as a population uh, it needs to be incredibly smart and incredibly experienced um, and, and understand that they've got a mountain to climb. And, and, uh, and so I would, I would find someone who could do that. Sure. Yeah, no, um, that, that does make sense. Uh, I think we're going to close it off here because we have like a minute and, and 20 seconds left. But I just wanted to say, you know, thank you for making this time um, to, to come have a chat with us. And I've learned quite a lot um, from our conversation. Um, and I really think the mission you guys are executing on is, is really important. And, you know, it will alleviate a lot of South Africans from, you know, like you said, borrowing a hundred rand, but having to pay 140. Uh, so yeah, thanks a lot, Simon. Thank you so much, Simon. It was a great conversation. Um, and I think 40 minutes is definitely too short. Uh, I mean, I wish I could chat to you a bit longer, but yeah, thanks so much for, for, for joining us for this time. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me and I um, look forward to following your guys' journey. It's, uh, it's an exciting podcast and um, you, I, I hope uh, some of what I said made some kind of sense. Thanks for your time.